Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today's guest is the Vice President of Marketing for the Cannabis Division at GreenCheck Verified and is a cannabis professional with experience across a broad range of the green rush. Today's guest is also the co-founder and managing partner of Good Ideas, a bespoke advisory and consulting company. With marketing and sales experience across a wide variety of industries, he is also passionate about PR and holds his Master of Arts from Full Sail University. I'm sure most of you listening already know him from LinkedIn. So without further ado, Brett Puffenbarger, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm happy we were able to finally make this happen. Um, I think a good place to start would just be, you know, how did you even end up in the cannabis industry? Oh, this is one of my favorite questions I get asked. Uh, so I guess I kind of started in high school because I figured out my cousin and her rich friends would pay double the price that all of my stupid friends from high school were paying for weed. So I used to buy it in bulk and drive up there and party with all of her rich friends and sell it to them. Love it. <laughs> but I wasn't a consumer uh, and it definitely wasn't a real job, right? It was more mm. a how does 16 year old Brett afford to buy his own car? Um, I didn't really come back to it until I was in my mid twenties. Uh, I think everybody at this point knows I'm a veteran and I remember getting into an argument with an ex-girlfriend and she was kind of mean about it. And she's like, Hey, you're kind of being an asshole. Uh, I hear that weed helps veterans not do that. You should smoke some. Um, I had no idea how to do it. Nothing. Right. Like I knew the economics of it, but I didn't know yeah. a whole lot. Uh, so I ended up buying an eighth off of her mom and figuring it out on my own. And I woke up the next morning and I was like, wait a minute, this is way better than the alternatives, right? The pills that the VA had me on drinking every day. And it kind of changed my life. Um, at the time I was working at Harley Davidson, I was a director of business development and something people don't really talk about at Harley is we make a lot more money running, selling t-shirts and you know, jackets and helmets than we do motorcycles. Really? Uh, so my job was, you know, part retail, part part sales and part motorcycle sales, plus a little bit of rentals. So I had a kind of broad experience with like, I guess what you would call the customer service and lifestyle marketing world, because let's be real here. Harley sells a lifestyle, not motorcycles, right? Hence the <laughs> jackets, t-shirts thing works. Um, so I got fired from Harley for failing a piss test because of course, uh, so I'd gone to lunch one day, uh, came back and they were like, Hey, it's, uh, it's time to go pee in a cup. And I'm like, Oh, why? And they're like, you know, so-and-so knocked a motorcycle off a trailer. So now the whole staff has to get a urinalysis because, you know, insurance purposes. Uh, so they gave me my walking papers and, couple months prior, I had sold a motorcycle to the founder of my very first weed job. So I called him and I was like, hey, I was good enough to sell you a motorcycle. Can I sell some weed for you? And the rest was kind of history. Dude, that's an amazing story. <laughs> I, like, I have nothing else to say. It's I can't believe that it actually all started by an ex-girlfriend just being like, you need to smoke some weed. Yeah, straight up. She was just like, you are not nice. You need to be nicer. And I was like, okay, suggestions. And the rest went on. That's incredible. So from that point, so then you went on to being a bud tender, I would assume? 
Uh, no, so I started in retail management. So it was me and a guy who worked at Disney got tasked with opening the first four stores for Knox Medical, which is now Fluent. So the biker guy and the Disney guy made the very first open store in Florida history. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And then from like from there, how did you act? How did you end up, you know, with good ideas and um being a green check verified today like were you kind of just like you know what i want to hunker down and i really want to master the industry from like a you know professional standpoint and kind of understand the economics from it further than just you know buying eighths for the low and then just selling them to to people like i don't know if i had a i don't know if i had a grand plan so much as i left my first cannabis job because I just was not cut out for like corporate cannabis in that way. And it's not a bashing of corporate cannabis by any stretch of the imagination. I have plenty of well-nuanced arguments of, you know, why I'm not a fan of them, you know, pontificatingly outside, but from the inside, it just wasn't for me. Hmm. And I lucked out in that I found a veterans cannabis charity called Buds for Vets. And as a veteran, I really wanted it to be about the community, right? Like if I was going to make career moves, it had to benefit people, right? People, mm -hmm. patients, consumers. And then at the time, most specifically veterans, because I hadn't been out of the military that long. And it was a very, very big part of my life. Uh, so I took a job with them and it kind of happened inadvertently in that they had asked for a veteran that was willing to talk on the news. And I went and talked in the local news. I think it was like the Fox affiliate in Jacksonville, Florida. And I realized I was pretty darn good at talking. Like I was just a good, you know, talky type Pokemon. And they were like, hey, do you want to do this all the time? Do you want to be the guy who gets interviewed so I started learning about it and I kind of threw myself into it and I ended up becoming the director of public relations for them. And with that, we partnered with most of the license holders in Florida, which as everybody knows are major operators. Mm -hmm. And we did um, the first co-branded um, uh, product ever in the state of Florida with um, Parallel, which at the time was Sertero Wellness. We did rosin, like free rosin for a Christmas party for veterans. And we developed the packaging and I really got into it. I was like, mm -hmm. this is cool. Um, we did, you know, t-shirt and swag items and, and hats and sunglasses. And we kind of worked with all of them. So I got to learn how they operate mm -hmm. on a different level. And that was cool. Uh, but let's be very real here. A charity doesn't pay very well. Uh, and you got to find a job. So I got a job at an extraction equipment manufacturer doing sales and marketing based solely on the Harley side of things. They were like, hey, we have a similar model to you know what you guys built at Harley. Can you recreate that? And I did. Um, I left there right before the pandemic started. And it became one of those things where I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I'll be very honest, I had zero plan. I just wanted away from them. It was a very not good environment for anyone. Uh, and that's a going thing for me. You'll notice in the story is that if I don't like it, my first step is usually get away from it. And then my second step is usually I need to find a solution for it. Maybe not for them, but because I don't know, my passion always goes back to what's best for 
the consumers because I am one of those first, right? Like I am a, a medical patient. I, I talk about this fairly often, but like I have a terminal lung disease, right? Like I, I consume cannabis for a, a, a very specific reason to regulate my own body, my own self. So I want that for others, right? Like I want things to be positioned that way. So pandemic hit, uh, I was in grad school at the time. So I had a little bit of financial stability to try to do something. And that's where good ideas got born. Uh, and my original thought process behind it was, how do I take all of the tips and tricks for you know the media marketing PR world that the corporate side uses and teach it to the little guys? How do I how do I give them the you know the guerrilla marketing crib notes from the big mm. boys for the little guys to use? How do I support legacy operators doing it? How do I help teach these you know incredibly talented people with amazing passion? how to spread that, right? Because, you know, uh, I think you and I have talked about it before. It all comes down to telling a story and weaving a tale and imbuing yourself into it, right? The most successful companies in the world carry this touch of their founder, right? Like everybody mm -hmm. knows, like, there's a bit of Steve Jobs and every bit of Apple. There's a little bit of Walt Disney and all Disney things. How do we do that for the mm -hmm. cannabis world? And that went great for a long time. Uh, and then like most ancillary service providers, we kind of got cut off at the knees, economic downturn, um, you know, mid 2022. So I went on the job hunt. And like you mentioned, everybody knows me from LinkedIn. So I went to where you go for LinkedIn things. And I said, hey, who wants to hire me? Mm -hmm. I had worked with GreenCheck before uh, for a contract role I had done well, with good ideas. They really came through with me on finding a bank for a project we were working on. And I went, that sounds kind of neat, right? Like they're solving a real problem. Mm -hmm. You hear it every day. You can see it on a LinkedIn post every day, every conference you go to, we're underbanked. I can't find a bank account. I can't get basic financial services and green checks over here going, hey, we do that. And I'm like, wait, this works. Now we're here. <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that. And I think before, before, because I really want to dive into green check too, because I remember when the first, one of the first times you actually, um, you and I were having a conversation about them and their solutions and kind of how, like how they fit into the industry, especially right now. Um, before we dive into that, I wanted to ask you either personally or professionally, was there something that you picked up along the way in the cannabis industry that you learned that like looking back on it now today, you say to yourself, man, I never would have learned that if I was working in a more traditional industry Ooh. probably two things one of them is the way that like venture capital and investment economics works because i've gotten to work with so many founders and like early stage startups through the consulting world that right. i always thought that was a little simultaneously harder and easier than it is if that makes sense like it's a very specific set of ways to go about it and it's not physically hard it's emotionally hard and it's time consuming and it's uh, you know there's like this give get to it and I probably never would have dealt with that if I had stayed in stereotypical corporate America because like mm -hmm. 
almost every cannabis company is a startup, right? What do they say on the, you know, Bloomberg's of the world that you have to be in the business for 10 years and have five years of that being profitable. And well, by those measures, even the titans of cannabis are startups, right? Number one. uh, And I think number two, I never would have realized that there is more to a job than a job. So as a veteran, the military gives us a mission and your entire life revolves around the mission, whether that's deployment mission or your brothers and sisters in arms or whatever it is, like the military isn't a job. It's not a career. It's a a lifestyle choice, right? Mm -hmm. I think the same thing applies for cannabis. And I think a big reason veterans struggle when they get out of the military is we lose that mission. You can't take ownership of whatever, your job at Kinko's or your job at Harley. You can be part of it, but at most you'll ever be is a cog in the wheel and you can never own the wheel, you know? Mm. And if you do, it, it involves like all of these hurdles and jumping through things and disruptive technology. In cannabis, you can own the industry in your mind. Obviously, I'm not saying like I'm in charge of anything or anything like that. But what I'm saying is like you can make it your mission again. And that for me is, you know, you'll notice a a thread for that. Like patients, consumers, the community, the culture, the the pieces that make us unique and not just an industry. And I I think the best way I've ever heard it put was uh, David, I think David Palachuk said it one time when we were talking on the phone or something. And I've heard him say it publicly before. The cannabis industry is consumer packaged goods plus culture right? Mm. The culture part is what allows that ownership level that makes me passionate, right? It's why I keep doing what I do, even on a bad day, even when I'm unhappy. Mm-hmm. It all goes back to like, I believe in the plant, I believe in the people. Uh, and I don't think I would have found that or realized that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And there are so many people that I've come across who have brought this up. And I've even I've found myself doing the same thing where it's almost like you can't like being in the cannabis industry and community. Cause I, I never like to separate them. It's all kind of like one big, one big potluck, but like it's difficult to not talk about it outside of quote unquote nine to five. People will always ask you about it. You're always online looking at stuff, whether it be news, um, political developments, um, you know, new, new businesses or new dispensaries popping up in your local area, wherever you may be. It's one of those things that you kind of want to break from quote unquote, because it's work, but at the same time, you don't want to, because there's something inside of you that's just burning to your point. And you're kind of like, no, like this is bigger than just my, my role during the work hours. And so I think a lot of people who are in this space, who have been in this space, for a long time or maybe they're coming into it now and they're seeing a long a long-term vision for themselves to your point i think it's one of those things where it just it kind of fills that cup like your own cup we're just in a unique space going. we're in a unique space as a movement so i talked to a professor of sociology one time when i was going through the adjunct professoring deal hmm. uh, and she really laid it out for me there are two ways to look at a subculture. There are opt-in subcultures and opt-out subcultures. So an opt-in subculture, in short, is I must overcome cultural stigma to become a part of it. And once you're inside of it, that becomes your world, right? Like mm. everything is un- encompassing. So like 
skateboarding, uh, very intense church groups. Um, the cannabis industry is a really good, or the cannabis community is a really good one. For I had sure. to overcome cultural stigma to get into it. But once I'm into it, you found you find that acceptance that you've been looking for and it becomes this whole thing. On the other side of that is an opt-out subculture, meaning I have to opt out of it to be the weirdo. Something like alcohol. You know, if you're in your 20s or 30s being a non-drinker, you have to opt out of the culture of bars and alcohol right. and those things or being an Apple user. If you, anybody who's an Android guy or girl knows when you're like, nah, I'm not an Apple guy. They're like, uh, what? Yeah. And cannabis is in this very weird thing where for most places, it's an opt-in subculture. You're, you're, you know, you're the weed guy and, and they look at you a little strange. Once you're inside of it, it becomes an opt-out subculture. You're the weirdo if you don't show up with the pre-rolls in your pocket. You're the weirdo if you don't accept the joint as it gets passed around. So once you're in it, it, it becomes this kind of balancing act that leads to this level of passion and drive and never turning it off. Even if you're not thinking about your role, right? Like we're both loosely communications people. Even mm -hmm. if I'm not thinking about the communications angle of it, I'm thinking about the plant science of it or the politics of it or some other piece of it. Yeah, no, you laid that out perfectly. And that opt in opt out, um, like just breakdown of it makes, makes total sense. So with that, with all that said, I want to dive in a, a little bit further into green check verified and how, how you guys as a collective are able to help bridge that gap between cannabis related businesses and banking and finance institutions, because it's almost, it's almost like a too good to be true, right? Because there's everybody over here screaming and they're <laughs> like, I can't get access to banking. And then you guys are over here just basically waving your hands like, bro, I got yeah, you. It's that simple. So, so like, is it really that simple? And can you kind of just break it all down for everybody? Cause I'm, I, yeah, people have to be wondering. All right. So there are two pieces to this equation that kind of make it make sense. Part one is the the kind of list of, of myths and stigmas around what you can and can't do. Most of them are totally bogus, right? Like uh, you can only work, work with credit unions, money can't cross state lines, you can't get traditional lending, totally bogus. Why that became prevalent is most banks are very apprehensive to bank any high-risk industry. And we are the highest risk of high-risk industries because we're a schedule one substance, state-by-state -state regulations vary, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So what GreenCheck did that was brilliant is that they chose to solve that problem first. So they went to the financial institutions and they said, hey, bank, hey, credit union, what would it take for you to feel comfortable? Because the banks aren't ever saying no, just mm -hmm. flat out. They're saying here's this really long list of questions and objections we have that are mostly revolving around, we don't want to go to jail, right? Like that's, that's its simplest iteration. That's the answer. So what we did is we built software that translates weed software. So your POS system, right? Your trees, your Cova, your bio tracks, your, you know, insert POS system here to the systems that banks use. So they have very specific compliance reporting stuff. 
So what our software did in a nutshell or does in a nutshell is communicate them. So if you're a cannabis operator, you don't have to worry about manual reporting anymore. You don't have to worry about jumping through the compliance hurdles. You just live your daily life and you let the software pick up the data and move it to the bank. But what it really allowed is us to go to banks and say, hey, we can take most of the risk out of this high risk industry. You can never take all of it, right? It's mm. never fully risk, you know, non-risky. Risk free. Yeah. What we said is, you know, we can take a lot of it out. We can make sure that the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. If we could do that, would you be willing to bank the cannabis industry? So that's what Green Check did for a long time. They focused primarily on the financial institutions. How can we help you be comfortable banking this high-risk industry? That's what they did for their first several years of existence, right? Now now we're at 100 and I think I heard 26 this morning, somewhere in the 120s for financial institutions willing to bank cannabis businesses in every legal state. We've got something like 4,400, 4,500 cannabis operators utilizing the system to mm -hmm. do it. And that's that kind of in a nutshell. So while it is that simple in the eyes of a cannabis operator, there's a whole lot of paperwork and smart engineers and brilliant people behind the scenes at GreenCheck that nobody ever sees. They're not a me or a Peter Sue out in the world that actually make it happen. Mm -hmm. But as a marketer, I can confidently say, yeah, it is that simple. <laughs> Fill out a form. I got you a bank account. The one thing we do hear a lot is it's expensive, right? Not us. We are not expensive. The, the green check software is not expensive to cannabis operators. Specifically, that software is free for cannabis operators. But what we don't do is tell the banks how to do their business. So each of our financial institutions have their own fee schedules, their own onboarding fees, their own ways of you know making money out of it. Right. But what I can confidently say is with 120 something options, we have one that fits everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And it's never going to be free. Sorry, cannabis operators. It just isn't how it works. But casinos and racetracks and arcades and other high risk, high diversion industries go through the same thing. So even something like, uh, you know, safe banking or federal legalization probably wouldn't remove those fees. We're always going to fit into a high risk category. Could they get a little lower? Yeah. But at the end of the day, what we do is I can guarantee you the bank account. I can probably guarantee you the one that fits your needs. But it's, you know, we don't tell the banks how to do their business. Yeah, I, I love how simple it is, right? And with that said, let's say there is a uh, let's say there is a cannabis business that's in the process, or they've unfortunately just been terminated by their bank, and they're considering you know going to green check or just they're in the process of of trying to get a new bank on their side. Are there any is there any kind of like prep work that they should do, kind of like where they're at currently before they let's say come to like a green like a green check verified? Let, let's say they come to you guys. So it's kind of like when you go to the DMV, you know, you need those like five or six pieces of paper and they give you the little like yes or no list that you could use yeah. a passport or a driver's license. You're going to need some basics like that, but it's mm -hmm. nothing wild, right? If you know the point of sale system you're using, if you have a, a manager on staff that's willing to put, you know, their ID in the system so we can verify it, you know, your EIN number and a couple of basic financial things, it's pretty much that simple. I'm sure someone from compliance will listen to this and tell me it's not that simple, Brett, but 
no it's not daunting right like mm-hmm. we're not asking you to like fight a minotaur and find the guy in the yellow coat and jump over the the hedge to you know ninja roll into position right it's some basic paperwork that you would need for any bank account anywhere there's no additional huge stack of stuff you need cool yeah i mean that you really can't get more simple than that so i love the simplicity of it but now i want to ask you because you've had a lot of experience in the space in the industry and so before coming on board with green check i would assume that you learned a lot about banking how financial institutions work especially as it pertains to the cannabis industry so during your time at green check has there been any kind of like big aha moment or like big eye-opening like revelation as to you know bridging the quote-unquote gap between the financial institutions and banking institutions and cannabis businesses and i'm sure there might be many but any one in particular that just kind of like smacks you in the face right off the bat i'm gonna be very frank with you I believed all of the myths that I now actively market to combat. Like my first three days at Green Check, I sat down with one of our co-founders. He's the VP of Knowledge, Paul Dunford. And I was like, okay, just like mainline me the information. Like, you know, here's everything I think I know. Tell me which one's wrong. And every single one of them was. Like not a single thing I thought I knew Mm -hmm. was true. I believed all the, well, yeah, we can only bank with credit unions and there are no national banking options and I have to be cash only. And I had to use this ridiculous, like, you know, cross payment system with a thing and you get the cash. All of it was bogus. Like I, (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb here and I might get myself in trouble. I would venture to say that 80 to 90% of what I hear people talking about in banking, I also believed and it's all bogus. Like, just so bogus, it hurts. Yeah. So that's that's interesting that you say that. Because, and this might be a, a, a better question for Peter Sue, but I'm going to shoot my shot anyway. Where, like, safe, like the Safe Banking Act, is it really going to create that much of a drastic change for cannabis businesses as we think? I don't think so. I I think I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit and I'm going to try to play telephone with the things I've heard the much smarter banking minds in green check talk about. I think the biggest change you're going to see is opening up the doors to larger amounts of financing, Mm. but most of those are going to be going toward the large corporate entities who already have a pretty easy time raising money, right? Early variably easy time you know it kind of does this Um, i don't think for a vast majority of the industry it would make a massive change and if it did the only change would come in that we would have more banks to offer they're still Mm going to want the same level of compliance software because we are still a heavily regulated high-risk industry whether we want to admit it or not Mm -hmm. so I think day-to-day operations for, you know, 90% of operators, very, very little change. Uh, And if it is a change, it's actually going to be in like insurance and payroll type things, not necessarily directly like, can I get a bank account tomorrow? Like, I don't think if safe banking passes tomorrow, Bank of America is going to be like, yep, come on, weed companies. Yeah. Gotcha. 
Okay, interesting. Because yeah, that's just that's something that's kind of been going through my mind lately too. I'm like, and I, to your point, like it's it falls into that category of like some of these myths that we've been hearing, or you know, I like the the hopeful ideologies that we kind of just subconsciously form in our heads, where we're like, okay, great, like this made headlines, like we're finally we're finally there, we're about to cross the the finish line, and we can just walk into a bank and set up a, a checking account without a problem. But yeah, I think we're still we're still a little bit of a ways ways out from there. I mean, I think even if and this is me going way out on a limb. I think even if we went, you know, schedule three, schedule four tomorrow, like total mm. decriminalization, federal legalization, there is even more of a need for companies like Green Check then than there is now. Because then the real big banks are going to be asking real in-depth questions and they're going to prefer to use software to do it than manually do it. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to change anything overnight in that way. It's going to allow tons of things to happen in the cannabis industry. But I think when we talk about the specifics of banking, nothing's going to change outside of maybe like, you know, 280E, which is a huge mm -hmm. deal. Let me be very frank, like being able to, you know, write stuff off on taxes and, and you know, take some tax breaks for companies. Awesome not necessarily directly related to the banking world in that way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Brett, I mean, thanks a, just for coming on the show and just being able to just, you know, chop it up and talk a little bit about your story in the industry, but also just to shed some light on some of this banking stuff because, man, it's confusing. <laughs> it's confusing and it's not easy to understand. So I appreciate the little <laughs> bite-sized nuggets that you were able to just kind of, you know, shed some light on today. I'm still confused some days. We do the morning stand-up with all of the, you know, the executives in the company. And sometimes they start using acronyms I don't know to this day. And I'm like, oh, I better Google that so I can throw it in the marketing for later. So yeah. some CFO is going to want to hear that one. Love it. All right, man. Well, listen, if people want to get in touch with you or uh, or learn a little bit more about Green Check Verified, what's the best way for them to contact you and get in touch? For me personally, find me on LinkedIn, man. Everybody, I'm easy to find. Uh, if you put P-U-F-F -F in LinkedIn, I'm pretty sure I, I show up as the top person. Uh, and then greencheckverified.com has all of the cool stuff we're working on. Uh, between the compliance software, we kind of just talked about our own, um, you know, offering through PayQuick now that we've acquired them. And then we're kind of knee deep in the Green Check Connect launch right now. And all of that can be found at greencheckverified.com. So it's pretty cool that we're now taking, you know, this It's That Simple show on the road and starting to offer more expanded services, insurance and payroll and, and other things that cannabis operators need. Awesome. Love it. All right. You heard it, guys. And Brad, thanks again for, for jumping on today. Really appreciate it. Anytime, my friend. Sweet. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 
Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects Network. Network.